For the last 18 or 19 months, COVID has been the big story. It's been the lead story in almost every newscast. Here in Toronto and across Canada, the second biggest story, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a real estate agent, was real estate. Prices have gone through the roof, not just in the big cities, but in small communities all across the country, and COVID has been a huge contributing factor. In this episode of Sold in the Six, we're going to take a look back at the big stories in 2021 with Tess Kalinowski, the Toronto Star's real estate reporter. I'm Desmond Brown, and welcome to Sold in the Six. Okay, so Tess, it's so great to have you back on Sold in the Six again. Thanks for having me. I always love to do it, Des. Yeah. So as I mentioned in the lead-in, uh, the last year, COVID has dominated the headlines. However, real estate has been a close second. But when we take a look at the real estate market, we really have to look closely at, the, at what happened with COVID. And it really is tied together, isn't it? Uh, yeah, side by side. But, you know, now... I'm, I'm not sure. Do you think, I mean, you're, you're an agent. Do you think the return to seasonality has sort of like things went so crazy in COVID that we're kind of having the COVID hangover now because we had, a, we had sort of a return to normal in the summer. Mm -hmm. The fall seems to have gone haywire again. And I, do you think that's COVID or do you think that's something else? Wow. That's the big question that we have in, in our, in our meetings, in our weekly meetings as well. And what's going on. Yeah. I think we have returned to more of the seasonality where, yes, the summer's a little bit slower, our spring and fall markets are busier. If the weather's really good in January, then we're going to have an early spring market again. But, you know, I think the COVID hangover uh, is still present because there still is the, 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 the uh, demand for larger homes, people still working at home. There is the hybrid model in place still for the workplace, but I still I still think people really want to have that extra space. And as you mentioned in one of your stories this year, um, a lot of it, a, a lot of what is fueling this are the second time buyers, the third time buyers who have the equity in their homes to be able to move up and get something a little bit bigger. So again, I, I guess we could say it still is all connected to COVID. You know, if, did you see how I got you to answer the question you asked yeah, me? Yeah, I was thinking of that. <laughs> Good reporter you are. <laughs> um, yeah, I think there is a COVID connection. And I think the fact that houses in the in the GTA outside the city of Toronto boundaries are still accelerating in price at such a rate, over 30% mm -hmm. in many cases, versus they're starting to go up again in Toronto more than they were. But, you know... Toronto's acceleration has really lagged the GTAs and that hasn't stopped. That hasn't really changed. And yeah. that to me still speaks to the search for more space for your family. Plus, mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, still a lot of people are convinced they're not going back to commuting full time, that it's safe to live in the suburbs, that you won't have that daily grind of getting on the train or getting on the gardener or the DVP, whatever. So yeah. I think that's part of it. Well, when you take a look at what's going on in this city right now with the construction, the infrastructure updates that are going on, you know, just the Lakeshore Boulevard, it takes so long to get around here and you've got to really, really plan your, your journeys. You've got to look far ahead. I know I don't go out without doing my Google Maps or, or Waze. Like there's not a chance I'm taking 
uh, or, or there's no way I'm going to be taking a chance to say I'm going to get from point A to point B without checking on those apps. Because if you don't check on the apps and your, your drive could be an extra 45 minutes to an hour. So I think you're right. I think people were still looking at working at home. Um, and you know, you know that the commute is uh, something that nobody really wants to endure anymore. Yeah, and, and as the star was reporting last week, we're in for a decade or more of traffic hell mm -hmm. in the downtown. And, you know, you've got the Gardner project going on. Um, there's there's no relief in sight from that. Yeah, a decade. So do we all have to get on our bikes? Do we all have to start walking? Uh, it's, yeah, it, it, it is definitely going to be a challenge over the next uh, 10 years. As I said, this is amazing. Um, so let's go, let's go back to your latest story last week, which was the November stats. And it's showing that the average price in Toronto is up 22%. Now, the average price for a detached home is $1,160,000. Yeah. And it all comes down to that lack of supply again, right? Well, yeah. I mean, we just spoke about how COVID has seen people buying up bigger houses. And and even semi-detached and townhouses are have have been flying off uh, off the market. So, you know... A question I get a lot is why aren't people listing their houses? Because it takes listings to encourage that supply, of course. Yes. Um, and what I hear is it is a matter of they just don't see the value proposition. If they list, where will they go? So, yep, exactly. and it was the same thing last year. People are choosing to renovate if they can find a contractor, which is increasingly challenging these days. They're choosing to renovate or to stay put and work it out for themselves. Uh, somebody has mentioned too that the value proposition between living in the city and living outside the city, I mean, you're, that, could, that could tip the scale back because, you know, the price difference is, is kind of narrowing, right? It, it it's is. costing so much to live in the suburbs now because those prices have accelerated so much that they're actually not that much different than the the price of a, a Toronto home. No. The difference between this year and last year, according to the real estate board, of course, is condo prices. So I was just doing some checking mm -hmm. to see what condo prices have been doing. And a year ago, you recall in the pandemic, and this was a real thing, in the pandemic, condo sales went flat. People were fleeing the cities. Airbnb regulations came in and suddenly we had lots and lots of condo listings. Mm -hmm. But this year, um, Condos are this they're back on. Whereas last year they were down two percent in price on average. Yeah. This year they're up twenty percent on average in the GTA. And um that's a that's a significant change. A year ago, you could buy a condo in Toronto for six hundred and forty thousand dollars. But this year that same condo is gonna cost you seven hundred and forty-six thousand dollars. Wow. Yep. So that's, that's amazing. That's a huge increase. But in the 905 last year, they cost about 534,000 this year. They are 646,000. Mm -hmm. And one thing I've learned about condos in the 905, apparently they are shrinking. So it used to be you'd move to the 905 to get some more space in a condo, but now they're being shrunk so that the price yeah. appeals to investors. And that's another real, um, uh, uh, sort of effect of the pandemic. I mean, 
they're talking about 25 to 30% of new homes are now being bought by investors. And these are not necessarily high rollers from China. These are the couple down the street that decided they socked away a little cash while they were working from home. Interest rates have been so low that suddenly they can afford to buy a condo off plans. And that's exactly what they're doing because there's yep. no, no other investment that is making them the same kind of returns as they assume real estate will. Exactly. And plus, the individual investor has become the landlord of the city of Toronto and the surrounding areas now because of the lack of supply or the lack of housing being built at different levels, whether it's the government level or through the private sector, you know, for, for you know, straight rentals. And, you know, you talked about the Airbnbs and um, the connection between the prices going flat last year and the acceleration in, in price over the last year. And when we take a look at the condo market, we cannot ignore the rental market. And that's what had happened when we got flooded with all these Airbnbs on the rental market that flattened out the resale market too, because people just basically look at their numbers. What am I coming in with a down payment based on what my carrying costs are going to be for my mortgage, for the maintenance fees and any other costs that go along with owning a property? Will my rents be able to cover, you know, most of or all of those payments? And that's why the prices were so long, were so low when it came to uh, the housing or sorry, that the resale condo market being flat, completely related to the rental market being flat. Now we're starting to see an acceleration, like I said, in prices and a demand for rentals in the city of Toronto. So it's all tied in, you know, and I know you just a lot of the stories that you've been writing over the last year have had to do with affordability the um, you know first time buyers being left out of the market, the um, the, the move up buyers, um, you know boosting the number of sales, the investors as well, and you just can't ignore that part of it. I know we'd like to get into a few of the you know the fun stories that we we saw over the last year, but we just couldn't get away, or you you know you as a real estate reporter just couldn't get away from the basic uh, story out there that prices have gone crazy, and a lot of people have been priced out of the market. Well, it is a it is a significant concern. I mean, when I first started covering this beat around 2015, 2016. Oh, it's been that long already. Yeah, time flies. Um, there was a real issue around affordability, but I have seen the concern about that uh, just, just continue to climb. People are really, really worried about their children and their grandchildren and how they will afford to buy a place. And, you know, even my younger colleagues, they just feel, they feel so cheated. Like, mm -hmm. you know, they did everything right. They went to school. They saved, they, in some cases, they've saved a lot of money and still they can afford nothing. And sometimes the next rung up from nothing is not that desirable. It's a tiny place and a not, you know, it's not great. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel right. It, it, it must feel like they've been like every time I get the real estate numbers every month when Trev comes out with its numbers, I, I just kind of groan because those are our kids' futures. I don't, uh, who among us <laughs> at 25, 28 years old can afford, you know, to put 20% down on a, on a 1.6 million condo or, or house. You can't. No, not, not, not a lot of people can afford to do that. However, that was another big story with a study done by uh, BMO that showed 
that parents were funding up what well, they funded ten billion dollars last year for their children to buy real estate. Like that's a huge story. It is a huge story. Um, the trouble with that is, you know, many of them are using their own equity to fund their kids' home purchases. Yeah, that that's a bit troubling because presumably that money is supposed to fund their retirement. Yes, yeah. I mean, yes, housing has has given them a kind of a pennies from heaven, right? It found money, but at the same time, you know, it's it's just a bit troubling that they're having to do that much for their children. I mean, you kind of wonder what that does for the psyche of our society in a way. I think the other thing, Tess, is that a lot of parents are looking at it this way. I may as well give it to them now before I die. Yes. Right. So, and at least be able to enjoy seeing what their children are enjoying out there in, in terms of having a new home. Yeah. It's like a living inheritance in a way. Whether you're moving up, buying an investment property, or you're a first-time buyer, the first thing you should do is get pre-approved. You may go to your bank or lending institution, but I always recommend getting a second opinion. And that second opinion should come from Jason Georgiopoulos of Dominion Lending. Jason has access to more than 30 lenders and will get you the best terms and rates available. To get in touch with Jason, you can email him at jasong at dominionlending.ca. And you talked about, you know, um, we, we had touched on the lack of supply and listings in the Toronto Real Estate Board are down by 10,000 compared to this time last year. Like, that's a huge number. Yep. I, I don't know what to tell you about it, except that if I had to put a for sale sign on my lawn, I don't know where I would go. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I sure wouldn't be able to get a house as well located and of the size that I currently live in. And I'm pretty sure that's playing into the decision not to list. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you wrote a story about the number of move-up buyers boosting the sales across uh, the country, basically. We'll start with the GTA because you are the Toronto Star. And with these number of move-up buyers boosting sales, taking advantage of the equity in their homes over the last uh, year, especially, they have been leaving, this whole market's been leaving the first-time buyers behind. I know we keep coming back to that. Yeah, I think so. And I think, um, you know, that is why a lot of the efforts that governments put into their campaigns and into their housing platforms mm -hmm. go are, are directed to first-time buyers because they are the people that are struggling the most. Yeah, I, I, I do think, I don't know the numbers on this, but I'll be interested to see in January or February, um, Treb will report on, you know, what, what the outlook is for first time buyers. And I will be interested to see how many move up buyers are still thinking of moving up because I think if they were, they probably did in that post pandemic haste to get more space. I suspect not as many will be now. Well, you know, the people who want to downsize have that same dilemma and I have a whole list of them too. They would love to sell and downsize it, but they're also saying like, where would we go? Yeah. And who wants to sell, you know, a $2 million house and go into a tiny condo. I mean, at some point it's, it's, you know, psychologically, oh yeah, it would be easier, but mm -hmm. it, 
it doesn't seem like a great value exchange, does no, it? No, it's not at if all. If you can't bank the amount of money you expected to bank when you decided to downsize to a condo, I'd be curious to know what your clients say about that. Well, that's interesting that you say that because about two years ago, Royal LePage released a study about empty nesters, not empty nesters, but the, uh, the boomers. And boomers were thinking of selling their current homes. However, the majority of those boomers wanted to buy something bigger. So it wasn't really a downsize. They, did, they wanted something bigger. So I'm not sure if it's because they were hoping that their grandchildren would come or visit or whatever, but they wanted more space. I find that really odd. <laughs> yes, it is odd. <laughs> because as I get older, that's the last thing I want. I figure by the time I die, I'll be living in one room. Um, I, I've come to loathe housework so much, but... Um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they want to be out of town more. I don't know. It's it's odd. No, I think they still want those amenities. And that was the part of that study, too. They still want to have the walkability factor. They still want to have those amenities close by. So they're not willing to completely cash in or move from the city. You know, they want to have all of that, what they're enjoying. Yeah, I suppose nobody wants to wants to see a future of sitting in Toronto traffic, even if you're comfortable driving oh. after a certain age, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe they do want to stay closer to their grandkids. Uh, it's it's tough for me to explain. To me, it all comes down to, you know, trading for less doesn't make sense to a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. That's all it comes down to. So another story that you touched on last year was that move to the country and cottage country, basically leaving the city, that ripple effect from the city and people saying, okay, we're getting out, which of course led to an increase in prices in cottage country and everywhere else in uh, smaller communities, not only in Ontario, but right across the country. Yeah. Um, to me, May was a really interesting time because I always do our annual cottage look in late April and May. And, uh, mm -hmm. I talked to realtors all across the province in cottage cottage areas and everywhere from sort of Leamington, Lake Erie area to uh, way up north. And people were telling me that, you know, a piece of rock that nobody would have looked yeah. at five years ago <laughs> suddenly had bidding wars. I mean, there was just many agents would just say, I'd send you a picture, but really we don't have any listings right now. I mean... I'll be curious to see if that continues too. I mean, as especially, I was thinking about this this week because of this new variant of COVID. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's once again, tamping down travel plans, right? And we're seeing it for Christmas. And I'm like everybody else. I really hope this is, you know, we work this out quickly. But, you know, I'm thinking maybe I should be looking for a cottage to rent now. And if I was yeah, in you a position be. to buy one, thanks for that. You should be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because... Probably we're looking at the same kind of summer. And if you want to go anywhere, it's probably going to be not that far from home, right? Exactly. That's what's going on. And I know a number of people, you know, my, my cottage is in the Lake Huron community of Southampton. We've talked about this before. And I have friends who wanted to come up and, and rent up there. And I gave them numbers last summer, mm -hmm. you know, uh, to, to start calling different websites. And they weren't very lucky at all. So a lot of the stuff is already booked. Did they get anything? The the last friends I was speaking to, no, they haven't gotten anything yet. Oh, well, you're right. Then I better get on that. Or yeah, we're going to be sitting in the backyard again, yeah. like third summer running. Yeah. <laughs> I know my um, 
my, my brother lives down in a community called Vitoria around Lake Huron. Uh, sorry, sorry, Lake Erie. And um, there was a property on his street that just sold for $580,000. And he couldn't believe it. Like, I was like, 580 and he can't believe it? Well, it was listed at 549 and they had three offers on it. And it went for 580 and he's just floored. You know, like a lot of people are floored in these smaller communities. Like, this is the stuff that we've been seeing in the big city for like 10, 15 years. The, the multiple offers and, you know, going over asking. Now they're seeing in these small communities. And he's like, oh, my God, if that one went for 580, mine must be worth 700. You know, the same talk that we've all been having in the city for so long. But, uh, yeah, it's it's there, there really isn't. Well, maybe there is. I think you have to look really, really hard to find those good deals and something a little bit more affordable. But at the same time, I mean, he's down by Lake Erie and you can get into something for five to seven hundred thousand bucks. So it's not cheap, but still, it's a lot better than GTA. Uh, yeah, it is a lot better than GTA. Now, that was that a cottage or was that a it's a house? Yeah. And that's the other trend, of course, in cottage country. People are looking for houses. They're not looking for cottages. They want your round homes because they can work from there. And the big amenity is is Wi-Fi. Internet. Yeah. Yeah. Wi-Fi, just like you said before. Okay. Now we're going to move on to another story you did. And this story, I'm really surprised that it didn't get more traction. I'm surprised that this story didn't just blow up and a lot of other media outlets didn't pick it up. And that was about cheating real estate students and cheating real estate agents going through the licensing process at Humber College to get their licenses for Ontario. And a number of them were actually suspended or terminated. Tell us a little bit about that story. Yeah, it was something like 36 of them or 39. Mm -hmm. Sorry, it's been a few weeks. But so the only reason I, Humber had actually put out a press release saying they had suspended these people. Um, And it just, somebody mentioned it on Twitter one day and I thought, wow, that's weird. So I kind of followed it up and I I can't understand why more people didn't report it either. The one thing I will say is the volume of mail I got afterwards (laughs) from people complaining about the real estate practices they had been subject to with their realtors um, suggests, like there's this sense that it is a corrupt profession yeah which is really too bad it is too bad because i know that the real estate agents i deal with are are scrupulously honest many of them and a lot of them that i deal with are the same they they will often speak out against what they see as the professional point of view because they they want to be honest and you know there was all this uh, a couple of years ago it used to be the ontario real estate association handled the training for realtors and then it moved over to humber college and humber swears it has been proctoring the online activity and i guess that's how they caught these people but it used to be people would talk about you know the office manager would do the course qualifications online for the agents so they didn't have to be bothered things like that um and it it does seem to be a real problem and i think it's a huge problem if you know there are all these ads running on TV and radio about, you know, if you want to buy a house and, or you want to sell your house, you need the professionalism of a real estate agent. I got to say, you guys have some work to do in terms of your image. We really do. That kind of story. Like, 
people are not going to forget that in a hurry. It may not have resonated with the industry, but it resonated with consumers. I can tell you that. Oh, my goodness. Did it ever. And we saw that with that CBC documentary as well on um, on for sale by owners and, uh, you know, how uh, they said that realtors had had boycotted those and so on. Um, but anyway, getting back to these, you know, the academic fraud for these real estate students and so on. I know while being in the field, some of the offers that I see coming through on my listings, I've had to pretty well rewrite them. And I've heard that from other agents too, Des. You're dealing with somebody on the other end who actually doesn't know how to manage a transaction. Not a clue. Not a clue. And you see these clauses coming in and they're not, I mean, the clauses, we're we're supposed to protect our own clients through all of this. And there are some that are just like, these offers come through and I see some of these clauses and I'm like, oh my goodness. You know what? Let's, I get on the phone with them and I say, look, let's go over the offer. We like the price. We like your deposit and so on, but let's go over some of the details of this together. And I want you to, you know, rewrite it. You know, we can get this deal through. So you just have to rewrite some of these clauses to protect my clients. And also on the other side, you know, you're leaving your, your buyer completely vulnerable by not having this in there. You know, not that it's my job to look after the other buyers, but my God, like I said, I can't even count the number of times that I've had to do this. So it makes me wonder, like, how did these people get their licenses? Now I'm seeing that maybe someone else wrote the exam for them. Yes. And and I think it does speak to this is and this is this is always the tagline on real estate ads. Right. It is the biggest investment you will ever make. And this is why it pays to look for somebody who knows what they're doing to manage that transaction. Do like ask around, ask people who've used agents that are good and professional. And, you know, it's so much money. Don't nitpick for a few bucks so you can get a bargain agent necessarily. I'm not saying, you know, some people work for less and they're excellent, but really consider that when you're, when you're a consumer and you're, you're, trying to decide how to manage your, your real estate sale or your purchase. I, yeah. I sure, I have a totally different understanding of it. <laughs> I would, I would not be trusting it to, to a discounter. Yeah, there, there you go. And I mean, and that's one of the, the big things that we've been dealing with for years and years since I've been in the business, you know, since I first started back in the eight, there, there have always been discount brokerages, but, and people say, well, why can't you do it for, you know, that half a percent or that 1% that they're charging? And I just say, well, you know, first of all, you're getting, you know, more than two decades of experience dealing with me. And then I go over my marketing plan and everything else. But the key here is protecting your clients in a contract. You know, that is so important. And to leave your clients vulnerable, uh, it's just beyond me. It really is. And you basically get what you pay for in a lot of cases. But I'm not going to start getting into justifying my commission in this particular, no, no. you know, uh, no, uh, and podcast. that's why. Yeah, that's why I say just look at it carefully. And if you are an agent, present yourself professionally, for heaven's sake. If you're not sure of something, you work for a brokerage, talk to your broker of record. They have more training. Like if you don't have, not every, you don't start with a ton of experience. So if Mm -hmm. you don't have what you need, find somebody to help you. I mean, especially given how much housing costs these days. Oh, I mean, to leave people vulnerable. Um, things like, I don't know, home inspections or, yeah. you know, engineering reports and things. It's unconscionable. Yeah, it really is. And I'm seeing this too, where, you know, I have the listings and 
the properties maybe sat on the market. I don't get a lot of these, but they may have sat on the market for a little while. And I had not supplied a home inspection with this property because I knew it wasn't going to be a multiple offer situation. And we were prepared to have an offer come in conditional on a home inspection. And unbelievably, they come in clean. <laughs> right? The offers will come in completely clean. And we look at each other. Yeah, I, you know, my, my clients and I look at each other and say, great, of course. Right? Nice, strong deposit, firm cash offer. Let's go for it. Where are we at these days, Des, with, in terms of clean off, what they call clean offers? Are people still afraid to put conditions on their offers in, in case they lose out on houses? Well, they are. But at the same time, I know when I deal with my clients, there has to be a home inspection. They're either one supplied by the, the seller for us to review, uh, hopefully by a reputable home inspector that I've dealt with in, uh, in other transactions, or... Um, by, you know, the home inspection has got to be at least concise enough that we can go over things and then be able to go back to the house and take a look at some of these things before we put the offer in. So to answer your question, we're not seeing as many offers on properties, whereas we're, we maybe get 10, um, in the last month or so we're getting maybe four or five on something that is priced to attract that. So yes, you still have to go in there as clean as possible to get it, but please beware. Don't just, you know, pass on a home inspection because you want to get this property because it's going to be a nightmare down the road. It really is. You've got to have something, you know, to tell you what's going on with that property. How many houses have you seen, Des, that are 100% home inspector says there's absolutely no issue here? Does, <laughs> None. Does, not, does every house not have some issues? They all do. It's just a matter of, let's put it this way. Um, a good home inspector will point out the most obvious problems. If it's a major problem that we can take a look at that, like a foundation or something like that, it's going to be a huge number to correct. That way we walk away. However, good home inspectors also say, you know what, this is something you have to look at in the next three to five years. You know, the roof is near the end of its life. The furnace is near the end of its life. And we did a podcast with John Tackerberry of all seasons home inspections and we talked about this and it's so important you know that people have a good look at the property they're buying so there aren't any surprises initially when they buy in or and there are not going to be any surprises in the three to five years down the road so that's what a good home inspector will do yeah okay so i know the toronto star um real estate stories are very popular and the way your editors view them or find out how popular they are by the number of clicks that the stories get, right? Yep. On online. Well, yeah. I mean, we don't we don't have any way to measure our print readers' exact mm -hmm. reactions, but presumably they're similar. And real estate stories are usually the most popular stories. Oh, they're up there. They're, they're for sure there. up there. Politics is pretty popular too. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That brings us to a story you covered, which I've talked about on my podcast, and it has to do with me. Oh, oh, right. The, the teens in the house. Yeah. Yes. Yes. This was so fun. Um, yeah. I was I was sad we didn't give it more play and more air. Um, yeah. So Des went into uh, a house he had he was listing and it was No, I wasn't sad. listing. I was you showing it. You I were showing show it. it. Sorry. Yeah. You were showing it and you, you thought something seemed amiss. So you called out, which you would do anyway. 
and lo and behold, the house is full of teenagers, and they've been having a pretty good time. Excuse me, who lives here? Who lives here? Who lives here? Hello, everybody. Come on, smile for me. Smile for me. Smile for me. That's great, guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they were, do, you, do you think they slept there, right? Oh, the they definitely before? slept there. They, they definitely had made slept dinner. There. They, they made dinner, yeah. They had hamburgers. <laughs> had a few and, drinks, probably yeah. played a few cards. Do you live here? Do you live here? What are you guys doing in here? Hey, what are you guys doing in here? Squatting? What? Did you break into the house? No. It was open. It was open. Oh, yeah. That's great. Anybody else here? No. So, uh, you know, I was, I thought about that story a lot because I was trying to figure out why I thought it was important. I mean, it has that kind of, um, that value of just being interesting. Oh, look what can happen if you leave your house empty and oh, somebody can muck up your staging and so forth. But, um, you know, I kind of think, where were the neighbors there? Like, did the neighbors not notice? They didn't the notice. Actually, they, they, the next day, the, well, when it happened and the kids started spilling out onto the street, the neighbors start saw what was happening and actually chased a couple of them. <laughs> <laughs> that was a part of the story we didn't cover, but yeah, that's what happened. So, so you must know what happened after that. Did the police ever find who, who broke in? <sighs> Let's, I got a few tips and I got an actual name yeah. and an address of one of the kids. Right. I gave it to the police and not much has happened. So what, what can you do? We've done our part. Is there any way um, consumers can protect themselves and even agents? I mean, uh, in this case, it was teenagers. Mm -hmm. They made a mess, but essentially they didn't hurt anybody. But that's not always, unfortunately, the way it is. So are there things that consumers who are staging their houses and leaving them for showing or Definitely. agents can do to protect themselves? And what are those things? Yeah, def and we talked about this on, uh, we, we, we did this on a podcast as well. Um, number one, agents, when they have properties listed, should be checking every day. They should be going to the property at the end of the day after the last showing to make sure that doors are locked. Doors are always left unlocked, right? Turn off the lights just to make sure everything's okay. That didn't happen in this case. That's one way of doing it. Um, security, security cameras and security systems as well. They come in play. They, you know, those are very, very important to do that. And they're um, cheap these days, those yeah, kinds of measures, exactly. right? Yep, they are. Let your neighbors know. You know, yeah, my house is on the market. Just ask them to keep an eye. If you see anything amiss, you know, let me know. Showings aren't going to happen after nine o'clock at night for the most part. If you see some lights on or whatever, well, you know, if you see any activity, let me know. Because most of the people now are vacating the houses when they're on the market, right? So, you know, let me know, let my agent know what's going on. So there are a lot of, you know, little things like that that can be done to help the situation. And I think something as simple as that would have dissuaded or would have caught these kids a lot earlier. Well, I think, um, you know, that's one of those stories where people read it and they their interest is really kind of, oh my goodness, what if that happened to me? Or that could happen to my friend or... Everybody mm -hmm. can relate to that fear of leaving your home and having something go amiss. I don't yeah. think most of us expect other people to move into it. Though. No, not at all. And, <laughs> and, you know, at the same, you know, they broke the furniture and all that. That's the sad part of it. But at the same time, 
I'm like you, like I giggled. I thought it was just like, this is crazy. This is absolutely nuts. Not just that they moved in and had the you know, party, but you know, that they actually cooked hamburgers, right? <laughs> that they baked French fries, right? And they actually moved in. They were having a good old time. So They behave just like I have known teenagers to behave in my house when I leave the room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what can we eat? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, oh, well, the heck with the shoes on the furniture. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but at least I didn't see a vegetable there. That's the thing. Not a vegetable. <laughs> ketchup. Yes, ketchup. <laughs> yeah. uh, Tess. Okay, so we're just going to wrap up now. Generally, what did you think of the last year in real estate? And what do you anticipate for 2022? Well, I'm just going to start working on my prediction story where I ask people to gaze into crystal balls. But yeah. I think for there are some really significant things on the horizon in 2022. First of all, we are going to have a provincial and municipal election. And in the federal election, there was certainly a lot of pointing no, at those two levels of government, the lower levels, because it is the province that handles housing for the most part. And Although housing starts were up in the GTA, there is clearly a supply issue. We have a, a provincial government that came in and said, we are going to boost the supply of housing to bring down the cost of it. And if yeah. they have boosted it, it ha it's it's a longer term issue. You can't oh, yeah, just not turn an overnight on the thing. housing supply. It, uh, it takes 10, 12 years. So people have to live in the meantime. Mm -hmm. If we have immigration starting back up, I can only imagine that demand will be hotter than ever. Yep. Um, you know, the other thing that is going to happen probably in the first part of the year is rising interest rates. And that could push some of those vulnerable first time buyers off to the sidelines. Um, they may not be able to. Uh, people tend to think about their monthly payments, is my understanding, more than the big dollar Definitely. figure. They, yeah, you guys would know yeah. that. Not, so, no, nobody's thinking of ever paying off their houses anymore. <laughs> no, they're just thinking about what they're going to have month to month. Mm -hmm. So I think that has the potential to push some people to the sidelines saying we have to save longer or we have to save more. Or what, you know, we'll just have to wait. And uh, I think we could see some of that starting the first part of the year. Now, interest mm -hmm. rates are now so low that even if they were to go up, say, 2%, they would still be really, really low in my... They would be, for sure. Maybe that will quiet things a little bit, stabilize the market a little bit more. Maybe we won't see the increase in prices as much if the, if the interest rates do rise. And, and I think it's important at this point, juncture, to tell people that doesn't mean that house prices will fall through the floor. I don't think I have yet to meet anybody who thinks house prices will go down in the GTA. So you always say to me, Des, trying to time the market is a mugs game. Um, so I don't think you can expect that, that the, the price of a house will, will go down. It just might not be going up 20% year over year mm -hmm. for months on end. And yeah, that's, and this was unsustainable that's what you're talking anyway. about cooling. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so those are the other thing, you know, those are the two big events on the horizon, those, those two elections and interest rates. And I think, um, you know, there is a, there is a, a lot of anger out there. I think politicians really are going to have to have to think carefully about their housing platforms. I think apart from COVID affordability and housing are going to be the number one issues this time going out. No, no definitely. You know, consumers, young, young voters are, and their parents are concerned about this. 
Mm -hmm. I really do hope that they can come up with some concrete solutions instead of just finger pointing at, oh, maybe it's the foreign investors. Oh, maybe it's just the mom and dad investors, you know, looking for that second property. Um, it's the real estate agents who are who are corrupt and all that. It's just a lot of stuff that's being thrown out there that has no validity at all. So let's hope that they come up with some really, really good solutions to this. Tess, thank you so much for joining us again on Sold in the Six. Uh, happy, happy holidays to your listeners. And that's our latest episode of Sold in the Six. And I'd like to thank my producers, Podcasts That Pop. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Sold in the Six and you'll start receiving new episodes automatically. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram. My handle is DezInTheSix. That's six spelt with the number six, I-X. You know, the cool way. And I also have a website. Check that out. It's InTheSixRealEstate.com. If you have a story idea or just want to get in touch with me, feel free to email me at des at desmondbrown.ca. I'm Desmond Brown. Until next time. <laughs>